Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. How y'all doing today? Everybody good? Everybody good? Amen, amen. You got to talk back to me. I like people to talk back when I, when I preach. Um, hey, really glad to be here with you today. So, so gracious of your uh, president to invite me. He is a great brother. I don't know him personally, but from far, just seeing the great work that's happening in, happening here at Southeastern Seminary, particularly in the area of racial reconciliation, is just really, really exciting to see. And just want to uh, publicly congratulate you on 15 years of being here and being faithful. That's a long time to be anywhere, particularly today. Amen. Man, I'm so glad as well that my wife Crystal is able to be with me as well. So let's go ahead and get into the Word. If you have a Bible, would you turn to John chapter 3? John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. I'll be reading. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, which may be different from the one that you're reading from, but it is God's Word. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. When you've arrived, could you say amen? If you need a couple more moments, just say, hold on, preacher. That's all right. That's all right. All right. All right. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. And it reads like this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testify about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John responds, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks of God's word since he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. And I want to preach for just a few moments from the topic, it's all about Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray now that as I stand before your people that you would anoint and empower me, Father. Use me in spite of me, Father. Father, I pray that you would take my mind and think your thoughts in my mouth and speak your words, for your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Every year in Hollywood, the most important time in film or in movies takes place. It takes place in February, which is the Academy Awards. The awards show happens in order to give out awards for different performances and, and different things within movies. There are all kinds of different Academy Awards. There are things like the best movie, the best director, the best um, documentary, the best costume. Uh, you know, the best animation, all kinds of different things that are awards that are given out to people for their work in the movies. But, there, but one of the most prestigious awards that takes place in the movies is the, uh, the award of the leading role for an actor or an actress in a movie, right? The leading role for the actor or actress is an award that is given to a person in the movie that plays a big part in a leading position within the movie. The movie doesn't just have the lead actor or actress, but the movie also has supporting actors and supporting actresses. But this award is given precisely to the one who has the leading role. There are roles that are given to supporting actresses, but nonetheless, this award is given to the leading role. And you know, as we think about movies and as we think about the leading role that people play in movies, God also has a, a movie of a sense. God also has a story. God has a story of redemption that he's been writing and he is continuing to write a story about Jesus coming to save people, a story that we all are blessed to be a part of. But we must understand that within God's story, there is a leading actor, only one leading actor, and his name is Jesus. Now, now, we all know that in our heads, but I wonder if we all believe that in our hearts. That when it comes to Christianity, there's only one star that it's all about, and his name is Jesus. Now, in our text this morning, Jesus and his disciples are in the Judean countryside, and they're, they're there, and the text tells us that they're there baptizing. Now, in John chapter 4, verse 2, we are told that Jesus actually wasn't baptizing, but his disciples were there baptizing. But not only were Jesus and his disciples there baptizing, but the text goes on and it tells us that John was there, and he was there with his disciples, and he was there baptizing as well. John the Baptist, the one who is the forerunner to Jesus, is here baptizing with his disciples as Jesus is here with his disciples. And as John is there and he's baptizing with his disciples, there seems to be a dispute that comes up between, one of, between John's disciple and, and the Jews. And it, the text tells us that it's about purification. Now, we don't fully know everything that's going on here in this dispute, but we have to at least understand that Jews had very lots of extra biblical purifications that they would do, that, that they would have as part of their Jewish customs, and they had washings and things that they would do. But now John has come with a different kind of washing, 
baptism uh, preparing the way for Jesus. And in the midst of this, there's a dispute. And so the disciple comes back to John, but it's interesting when he comes back to John, he doesn't talk to John about the Jew. He talks to John, the Jew in the, in the dispute, but he talks to John about Jesus. He says, he says to John the Baptist, notice in verse uh, tw- 26, so they came, the disciples came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone's going to him. There's a new show in town, John. Uh, a, a, a rabbi that is here and all the show and all the people are actually going to him. Now it sounds pretty foolish, doesn't it, for these disciples to actually be jealous of Jesus. Who would be jealous of Jesus? It's a good thing that Jesus is now here and Jesus is now doing his ministry, but I believe if we're honest with ourselves and our own hearts, we wouldn't say it, we wouldn't want, we wouldn't dare utter it, but in our hearts we have a propensity to be jealous of Jesus and his glory. It's seen when we make our ministries the things that we do about us and not about Jesus. But not John, John, no, no, not John, John in the text starting in verse 27, goes ahead and and he responds to the disciples. Notice in verse 27, he says, no one uh, can uh, receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. John, John understands that whatever gift, whatever place in ministry that he has in redemptive history was given to him from God, from Jesus, for Jesus' glory. And John's like, you know what, not only that, but I already told y'all about this. In in the first chapter, John makes it clear he's not the Messiah, but he's the first chapter of John. He's not the Messiah, but he's the one that is to uh, point people to the Messiah. Verse 28, you yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. John understands his position But John even takes it a little further in verse 29. John moves and he gives a parable of such about a groom and the groom's best friend at a wedding. Scripture, the the, the groom's uh, best friend would be kind of like what we would say is the best man in a wedding, right? He he would be the one that would help prepare things for the wedding, but, but the wedding wasn't about him. In verse 29, it tells us that, that he's the, he's the best friend. This is who John is claiming to be. And, and then when the, and, and actually it says, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. Get John here in the text. John's not trying to steal the groom's woman. He, he, he's not trying to make the wedding about him. He's not trying to uh, uh, take the the, the show there. No, it's the groom being united to his bride. And this brings John joy. Not only does he play the position, but in his position, he gets joy out of the groom being connected to the bride. Now, we we, we don't want to think that John would be ignorant to the Old Testament here as he's using this illustration, he he would have understood that Israel, or at least a remnant of Israel, would have been those who would be the bride of the Lord. 
And then as we continue to read the New Testament, as the light comes on for us, we see that the church, God's people, are actually the bride of Jesus Christ as they are united to him by faith. And so what John is saying here is that John gets joy out of being the one that announces and pronounces the groom that's coming, but he also gets joy out of the groom being united to his bride. He gets joy out of Jesus being connected to his church. There's joy that comes when Jesus is lifted up and Jesus' people are connected to him. And he, and he says in verse 30, he says that he must increase, not Jesus, but I must decrease. John understood his position. He understood that he was to bear witness to the light, but he wasn't the light. And now that the light has come, he has to fade more into the background and push Jesus up as the star of the story, which he really Yes. In verse 31, it's interesting, the text seems to make a, make a little bit of a shift here that commentators believe that this no longer John the Baptist speaking, but another John, John the Apostle, who's the writer of the text, who is speaking now, and he's wrapping up the rest of the chapter that the, the sources believe. And, 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 and in these verses, nothing changes, though. The verses might have a different speaker, but the point of the verses are still the same, to lift up the star of the show, Jesus Christ. That, that if John must decrease so that Jesus can increase, here's some reasons why he must decrease in order that John will increase. I'm sorry, that Jesus will increase. Notice in verse 31, he says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. The writer here rightly proclaims that Jesus Christ is above all, that he comes from heaven, he comes from glory, he is above everything. There is nothing that is above Jesus, but Jesus is supreme over everything, including us who are earthly coming from the dust. The writer here lifts up the supremacy of Jesus Christ for the reader to see that Jesus is above all. That, that's even what we see in the book of Hebrews, don't we? In the first few chapters, we see Jesus being lifted up as greater than the law and greater than angels and greater than Moses and greater than Melchizedek, that, that Jesus is the one who is high and lifted up from above and over all and supreme to all. He's just lifting up who Jesus is. But he moves on in verse 32 and he says, he testifies to what he's seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. Jesus' testimony is not what somebody told him, but it's a revelation that he knows and sees for himself. He's telling you not what he heard, but what he knows. Unlike us, who our testimony is based off of what we know about Jesus, Jesus is the one that originates the truth of the testimony. Just lifting Jesus up. He, he, he keeps going. Just the one who accepts his testimony affirms that God's true. Get this. The author is saying that to affirm the testimony of Jesus is to affirm the validity of the truthfulness of God. That to reject the testimony of Jesus is to call God a liar. That Jesus is the high lifted up one who when he speaks, the very truth of God is proclaimed. Not just from 
words that have been told him from, from experience. Verse 34 he keeps going, just keep, this is just a, a, this is basically a resume of just lifting up the supremacy of who Jesus is. Verse 34, for, for one whom God sent speaks God, for the one whom God sent speaks God's word since he gives the spirit without measure. Listen, under the old covenant, the spirit landed on a lot of people. There were people that were given the spirit in a sense for the mission that God gave to them. Look at the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and Daniel and all these prophets who were given a portion of the Spirit for the ministry that was given to them, but now one has come who doesn't have a portion but has an unlimited resource of the Spirit. That the Spirit of God is in full measure on Jesus. The Old Testament tells us this is gonna happen. You could, you could read in places like Isaiah, 11 and 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 42, 1, this is my servant, I strengthen him, this is my chosen one, I delight in him, I have put my spirit on him, he will bring justice to the nations. Isaiah 61 and, 61 and 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and the freedom to prisoners. This very verse Jesus speaks is about him. That, 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 that the Spirit of God has come on you in all of his fullness. He's not like any other prophet that's ever come. He's the God over the prophets. This is who Jesus is. And John the Baptist himself saw the Spirit descend on Jesus when Jesus was baptized. This passage is lifted up for us how much, how other Jesus is than anyone or anything else in all of the universe. Notice verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand all things in his hand, that, that Jesus is the one that has all authority over heaven and earth. There is nothing in all of the universe that is not under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's good news this morning for us in the midst of times of turmoil and, and times of hardship and looking at the political state of our country and of our world and we're wondering what's going to happen in 2020. Is the United States all going anywhere? What's going on here? We can actually rest because we know that Jesus is an authority even over all the kings, presidents, governors, mayors, police chiefs, or, or whatever it is of all of the universe. Yes, we're called to be active in society, but ultimately we're called to trust. To know that I don't care who ultimately is in the White House in 2020 because Jesus reigns on the throne forever. The president can only be president four to eight years, but Jesus is king for all of eternity. I wish I had some people in this room that could get excited about the fact that Jesus is on the throne. He's on the throne. He's on the throne. And this resume of lifting up the supremacy of Jesus is ended in verse 36. 
with these words, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, and the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is supreme because he's the only one that can forgive sin. And I don't know about y'all, but when you can forgive sin, ain't nothing over you. <laughs> that Jesus is the one who can step in and heal and deliver people from bondage to sin. That what you do with Jesus speaks to where you spend eternity. Jesus is supreme. But you know what? As I said, many of us, if we're honest with our hearts, find our hearts more like these disciples of John, jealous of Jesus. Again, you wouldn't say that because that's not the Sunday school answer. You wouldn't want anybody to know you thought that way. But if you look at how, if we look at how oftentimes we live our lives and how important we think we are or should be in ministry, it shows that we are no different than these disciples who are jealous Jesus. You might be here now in seminary studying and in reality you just can't wait to get a platform so that people can look at you. We judge our ministries based on how many Twitter followers we have or how many book deals people have or, 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 or whatever. And I'm, I'm not beyond needing to hear this as well this morning brothers and sisters. But we need, what I'm here to do today is to remind us that in the midst of you studying for ministry and doing ministry, it's all about Jesus. And with a little bit of time I have left, I wanna share three points of application that will help us put ministry in the right perspective and focused on who it's really all about, Jesus. Three things from this text. The first one is, number one, you, if you're gonna make your ministry all about Jesus, number one, you have to recognize that your ministry comes from God. You have to recognize that your ministry comes from God. Notice again in verse 27, John the Baptist, his disciples come to him, jealous of Jesus' ministry, and John begins in verse 27, it says, no one can receive anything unless he has been given, it has been given to him from heaven. Brothers and sisters, we have to come to the place in our hearts and in our minds where we recognize that there is nothing that we possess that didn't come from God. I don't care if it's your spiritual gift. I don't care if it's your financial resources. I don't care if it's your ministries, your salvation, your very life. Everything comes from God. Paul writing to some arrogant Christians in Corinth says this in 1 Corinthians 4 and 7, for who makes you so superior? What, what do you have that you did not receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? If we could wrap our minds around that reality, how much would it change the focus of our ministry? How much would it change if we just recognized that man, how can I brag on something that was given to me? It's crazy. Can you imagine Dr. Aiken blessing me and giving me a car? 
And some of y'all are like, I don't know. But anyway, Leslie would give me a car and uh, I, you know, I'd get the car and I'd start driving around Southeastern's campus and got my windows down, I'm waving to everybody, look at me, look at my car, I'm getting out and wiping it off and wanting everybody to see me. Y'all would look at me like I was a fool because I'm bragging about something I didn't even pay for. But the truth is, anytime we lift ourselves up over Jesus in ministry, we're bragging on something that we did not pay for. The danger is that we can make ministry about our gifts instead of the gift giver who gave us the gift to point to him. You know, a lot of people start off ministry and they start off with this mindset, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to make much of Jesus and man, it's going to be great and, and it's going to be all about him. And the more we get involved in, in, in ministry, the more power that people give us in ministry, the bigger our ministries become, it's so easy to move to spiritual plagiarism. Spiritual plagiarism is to take credit for what you really did not do. And there are so many people in ministry that are committing spiritual plagiarism. If I'm honest, it can be true of me and it can be true of you. You know what this leads to a lot of times in ministry? As that happens and we start to make ministry, our ministries grow and, and influence and it starts, people start getting more like enamored with us and, and, we don't, and we don't reflect that to Jesus. What it leads to is arrogance and pride. It leads to the mistreatment of people we lead. Because we, we, we um, you know, it's interesting. We see a lot of people falling out of ministry right now. And, and yes, yeah, sexual immorality is one of them, but there's a lot of pride and harsh leadership behind a lot of falls we're seeing in ministry. When ministry is all about you, you'll do anything you can to protect it, no matter who you have to walk over. But oh, brothers and sisters, when you wrap your mind around the fact that your ministry is a gift from God, you can give it away and don't care who gets the credit as long as Jesus gets the glory. Can you imagine what work could be done for the kingdom if we didn't care who got the credit as long as Jesus gets the glory? It would revolutionize the ministry that we do in the world. In seminary, you're sitting here like, that won't happen to me. Take heed, lest you fall. Number one, remember who the ministry is. But notice, secondly, you have to know your role on the team. Know your role on the team. John the Baptist knew his role. He understood as verse 29 said that he wasn't the groom, but he was the friend of the groom, that the woman wasn't his, but she belonged to the groom. And his job was to be involved in preparation, waiting on the groom to come, not trying to make it about him and take the groom's woman. He even said that he must decrease and so Jesus could increase. You know, but one of the biggest things, brothers and sisters, that one of the biggest things that hurts sports teams, music groups, and business is when people try to play a role that's not theirs. 2010, uh, the sports world was rocked when LeBron James and uh, Chris Bosh decided to team up with Dwayne Wade in Miami, 
right? They made this super team. Some people believe that's the start of the super team. Other people say it was with the Celtics. I don't know, but either way, it changed the scope of the NBA. But what's interesting is when LeBron James came to Miami, even though it was Dwayne Wade's team and that Dwayne Wade had already won a championship before LeBron got there, LeBron didn't have no championships. D. Wade understood that for it to work, he had to step back and allow LeBron James to lead. And if, if Dwayne Wade wouldn't have understood that, then they would have never had the success that they had in Miami. And so the reality is, brothers and sisters, for, 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 for things to thrive, then those people within those things have to know their roles and be willing to step into position in order for things to thrive. And so for ministry to thrive, for the church to thrive, for, for all this to happen, we have to be people that are willing and ready to understand and admit we're not the groom, we're not Jesus, no matter how much how great we think of ourselves or other people might think of us but we're just a part of the plan that Jesus is using y'all everybody can't be Michael Jackson somebody got to be Tito and Jermaine everybody can't be Ralph Trasvan with new edition somebody else got to be uh, somebody somebody else got to be somebody else in the group somebody got to be Johnny Gill everybody can't be Batman Somebody got to be Robin. And if ministry is going to work faithfully in the church, we must all understand that we're a side piece in it, that is a part of the ministry, but Jesus is the main thing. It's crazy to think that we would compete with Jesus. But our hearts are so wicked that we can quickly turn things to a place where we make it about us. How do we take something so beautiful and so pure and so noble as ministry and turn it to where it's about us? It's the wickedness of our hearts. I don't know who wrote the song, but y'all might know, some of y'all might know the song, was it? You're so vain. You probably think this song is about you. A lot of us, we think Christianity is about us. We get this, well, if I don't show up, then ain't nothing going to happen. I founded this church. If I leave, the church won't continue to go on. There are people that have found that out quickly, that Jesus' church will continue even if you ain't there. Jesus didn't just start putting pastors in place when you showed up. We must know that our role is to point people to the one who is the head of the church and who has all supremacy and the only one who can do anything ultimately about the hearts of people, Jesus Christ. So number one, we must know that our gifts come from, our ministry comes from above. Number two, we must know our role within ministry. And number three, you, if, if you're going to be able to have a ministry that's focused on Jesus, you have to have a high view of Jesus. Now that, that's what we see in verses 31 through 36, is, is this lifting up of this high view of Jesus who's above everyone and above everything, the one who speaks and what he speaks is what he actually knows because he's the originator of revelation, the one who is above everything, the one who has the spirit without it, that, that is measureless, the one who can forgive sin. This is Jesus. This is the one that it's all about. 
And what we have to do is continually be reminded of who Jesus is. Because as we're reminded of who Jesus is, we recognize how much higher he is than us, how much grander he is than us, and it will cause us to lower ourselves and drift into the background so that Jesus can be made much of. What kind of view do you have of Jesus? Is Jesus the high, exalted God of the universe who saves sinners? Or is he just your co-pilot that kind of helps you do what you want to do? We must have a high view of Jesus. And in having that high view of Jesus, we have to be people that see that, wow, Jesus is above everything. Everything is under him. He's in control of everything. And yet, he's made a way for us to be right with God through faith in him. And what we have to do is we're having this high view of Jesus, the one who is so other us, but comes near us through Christ, through his blood to make us right with him. We have to find our identity in that reality. Because if our identity is found in ministry, then we'll always be trying to compete with Jesus. No ministry will be enough. Because if our identity is found in, now I'm speaking to me even now, if our identity is found in, in, in our ministry, then we're going to do everything we can to protect its validity and make people think that it's all about us. But when we come to the place where we see that life and forgiveness of sins is through Jesus, that Jesus come and he's defeated death, hell, and the grave, and we find our identity in that, we can have a joy in Jesus that's separated from ministry. And therefore, we don't have to be the center of attention. We're okay with Jesus being the center of attention. We're in, we actually have joy in seeing Jesus as the center of attention because we know that that's where our identity is found and that's where anyone's identity can be found in Jesus. It's interesting. When Jesus sends his disciples out in Luke chapter 10, the 72 and verses 17 through 20, and then they, you know, they, when they, they end up coming back, and man, they're just, they're just like excited. Man, Jesus, even the demons obeyed us in your name. Man, we was killing it out there. It was in your name, so we, you know, we'll do that too, right? We'll, we'll, we'll say, man, man, but it was in Jesus' name. We gotta make sure we say that, because you know, you know, that kind of dynamic. But, but, but anyway, um, he's like, in their name, even the demons obeyed. And Jesus says something interesting in verse 20 of Luke 11, or Luke 10, I'm sorry. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written. Brothers and sisters, don't find joy or identity in how your ministry goes, but in the fact that your name is written in heaven. That that will change everything about your ministry. It will cause you to put it in the right perspective that Jesus and put Jesus in the right place. As we see Jesus for who he is, high and lifted up, and us as low as, as low, but forgiven by Jesus. It helps us to put ministry in the right place that it's about Jesus and not us. Let me give you a couple questions to think about as we leave. Number one, 
And so we can evaluate, is our ministry about us or about Jesus? There's just a few, there's lots I could, we could give, we could think of. We could just take the rest of the time just thinking of them together. Number one, do you have to be recognized whenever you do something in church? Do you have to be recognized whenever you do something in church? Number two, are you okay with others leading ministries in the church besides you? Big as the pastor, you have to be the one to preach every Sunday and do every funeral and every wedding and, and be in every meeting and you have to make every decision. And like that, 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 that kind of power moves towards a place of making it about you. I'm not saying that pastors don't lead, but, but man, we gotta watch that. Number three, do you rejoice when God uses someone else besides you to make kingdom impact? What if your church isn't the one that sees revival, but it's the one down the street? Can you rejoice that? I think there was a guy that said that. I didn't make that. That's not me. Number four, if you do something that's impactful on someone else's faith, are you okay if only you, Jesus, and that person knows about it? Or do you, are you standing there waiting? Yep. I'm waiting. He's going to say that it was me that helped their marriage. Or are you okay with only Jesus knowing them? Because I'll tell you this, man, that, if Jesus knows, that's enough. Amen? Number five, can you have joy if someone else's ministry goes beyond yours? That was John the Baptist. He had joy in Jesus' ministry going beyond his ministry. It's all about Jesus, y'all. May we fight for this in our ministries. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God, that it's all about you. But God, if I'm honest, me and everyone in this room, we lose sight of that. So we ask, God, that you would help us to put our hearts and minds in the right places, to make our ministries about you and find our identity in you, the one who died for sin. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.